It's time for Peer Pressure. My guest today is Kembra Fowler, the leader vocalist and visionary of, among other things, the voluptuous horror of Karen Black. This Peer Pressure segment was on a day that the band was supposed to be performing and we were having a snowstorm here of proportions that we're going to definitely cancel the show. So it's a great segment, kind of really right in the middle of it. And among other things, we talk about her book, Butalism. We talk about Karen Black, the band, and the person. Aspects of her life in performance and regular art having work in the Whitney Museum here in New York, and all other things Kembra Fowler. Please stay tuned. We're WFMU. I'm Diane. I would like to welcome my peer pressure guest. Kembra, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Diane. Hi, how are you? Everything's great. <laughs> I'm glad that you're saying that because uh, we have kind of a difficult day in New York. And uh, I guess the first thing on the agenda is what is going on with your show that is supposed to be scheduled for tonight? We are just trying to decide what the best thing to do for all the fans. We're most likely going to postpone because it seems like transportation has been compromised and I want to be able to present a really glamorous, wonderful show for everyone and um, I don't don't have a way to get all of my props and costumes to the show right now. So we're thinking, hmm, maybe we should wait until we can really deliver the show that is up to our standard and the fan standard, which is um, over the top. And that's, I, I get that that's really a difficult choice for you, seeing that you've been looking forward to this. And, you know, yeah. when I set up this this uh, this special with you and we spoke earlier, you know, you were going to already be at the club at noon preparing for the yeah. show. Like, you put so much into a yeah, performance. It's really fun for me. I love doing it. I love doing it. I, I have sort of... Um, a compulsion to decorate and to um, completely transform the clubs that we do shows in. So I live like three blocks away from Bowery Electric, actually. And even being in such short distance, it's I have so many things I wouldn't be able to walk over there with what I have. I've got a teeter-totter seesaw. I've got babies and tires and flowers and suns, big, you know, um, moons and a big phallus that we're bringing over for one of our numbers. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't even walk over with the amount of things that, that we've been working on. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a it's a logistical nightmare. And, uh, yeah, Mother Nature <laughs> wins. <laughs> yes, she wins. 
tell her that. But um, and you do put so much into your into your performance. At what point in your life did you start really paying attention to? And was there like a, a recollection that you have of a performance that intrigued you or made a real impact on you that sort of pointed you in the direction of what you um, do now? Well, gosh, I started, um, you know, in Los Angeles when I was a teenager, and I always wanted to do, you know, like Little Rascals put on a show because we're always very bored. And um, instead of waiting for things to come to us, we decided to, you know, make up our own little world of strange mythologies and stuff in order to entertain our friends. It wasn't likely. I had a desire to become a fantastic, great artist. It was just Los Angeles was very boring. I didn't like going to the beach that much when I was a teenager. And um, we just wanted to, you know, design our lives to be the life that we wanted to lead. And we had to do it ourselves. So I came to New York in 79 and started making performances and films. And when we needed um, to have soundtracks and stuff for our films, instead of using other people's music, we thought, well, we need to, you know, uh, um, make our own soundtracks, and that's when we started the band, to, to make that music for our visuals and performances that we made, and again, the performances weren't like performance arty as much as doing stunts or gags or, or doing little shenanigans and stuff, it was in the spirit of fun and actually like, you know... Um, um, defeating boredom. <laughs> um, and well, and the other thing that I want to sort of mention is like you, like your band sounds nothing like a soundtrack. Like if you're sort mm-hmm. of saying like we needed to put music to what we were doing, and and uh, right. you know, I mean, you've always had like really really heavy players, and your I mean, I would call your music, you know like metal or hard rock it's not it doesn't sound like accompaniment so what kind of music did you grow up on to appreciate that kind of sound well you mean just classic rock yeah or whatever you appreciated that 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 had you create well yeah exactly like we this music isn't about like movie soundtrack or just background music essentially is what you're saying we we decided to tie in the performances to the music. In other words, we started to illustrate the little stunts and shenanigans we were doing with actual props and costumes. We sort of married both of the of the mediums, like the music was the bread and the 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 visuals were the butter that went on the on the bread. So it was just like you know, um, since I was a little bit younger when I started, it took me a while to figure out what I really, or how to do what I wanted to do, you know, with a lot of trial and error and stuff. Um, so, in other words, like, we had a song like Chopsley, Rabbit Bikini Model, and um, I thought, well, I think I'll build a big taco shell that can eat people on stage. And, and when it had been in the film, it was just simply like a sculpture that was filmed, and then you saw Realm Around in the film screen. Or when it was in the performance art piece, it was just a rather, you know, quiet little taco shell. But with the rock music behind it, you know, we started to be able to tell the story about Chopsley Rabbit Bikini Model. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so, you know, it's, it's 
they're it's very literal, you know. Um, the props really are props, and the visuals really are talking about what's going in the songs, actually. You know. Have you ever taken on anything like 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 for instance in the in the uh, the event of Chop Sleet, like like okay, I'm going to build this, and then you just you know it's not working or whatever, and it's so much more work and and comes out completely different. Um, mm-hmm. Is there is there any one particular song where you were just like I am still trying to get this right and it's bec- become I a think monster? All of the others. all of the songs are be getting perfected, you know, as far as building the props and stuff because I'm always learning new building techniques. Mm. Um, I started out using foam core and just flat props, and now I've learned how to use like insulation foam. Um, to build like more sculptural things, I've I've just learned different techniques. And any kind of accident that happens usually is a happy accident, um, you know. And um, but I we work in the spirit of availabilism, which is what we say, making the best use of what's available as well. So there are actual whole songs and numbers that were just built around those accidents, like finding bowling balls on the street. I I Mm -hmm. invented a whole performance art piece just around finding bowling balls one afternoon. Um, I I wrote a whole number um, that that was about witches who used to be uh, uh, tortured and stuck into Iron Maidens, and there was an artist called Hans Baldung that painted witches with balls tied to their feet. So, certain songs were born just of me finding stuff on the street, and then kind of re—I uh, guess—in in 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 prop language, it's called retrofitting, where you kind of like redesign the stuff that you find by repainting them or embellishing them. Um, I, I, it's called retrofitting. I learned that word from reading the book about the movie Blade Runner. When they talked about redesigning their sets, they took already existing things and, you know, embellished them, embellished their facades, not to sound too lofty over here, but, you know, they worked with what was available and then retrofitted them or, you know, embellished the the exteriors of, of buildings in, in the case of Blade Runner. Yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't sound lofty at all. It just sounds like you really are looking at what what you can use and, and looking at sources and getting yourself educated and figuring out how other people have done it. There's yeah, exactly. You know. I'm very interested in all of that. It's been a great life getting to be an artist all of these years. I'm 52 now, and I've been doing, I've been able to be an artist since I was a teenager. And um, you know, a lot of people don't get to to have this kind of a of a life, and it's been wonderful to to get to work with Samoa, who I was married to for 17 years. He's the guitarist in the band, and. Mm-hmm. We're no longer together, but for the first 10 years of our lives, we worked, you know, together um, in Karen Black, and after we split up, he decided to start a family, and I went more into being, like, an exhibiting artist in art galleries and stuff, like, doing, for some reason, I got invited to become, like, a museum-y type of um, artist, and I got to be able to be in all these 
Whitney biennial things and galleries around the world and stuff. So my life just sort of like took a turn that I would never really expected. Hmm. I don't think any of us really expected it. So it's not something I sought out really. Like um, I knew I always wanted to do creative things, but I never knew it was going to be this good. Well, and without, I mean, seeking without a particular goal in mind is a really interesting way. It's like you're just sort of, you know, riding the the flow of life and just sort of seeing where it goes. And people are going to, of course, you know, um, recognize you for for your performance and for your creativity. Well, I know that it's really hard to be an artist as far as, you know, if you go to art school and you... You are the kind of artist that is working all alone in your studio, and the you know you have to make slides to show galleries. It's a very demeaning process, and I always discourage people from soliciting their work to galleries. I always suggest to people that they should, with their friends and with their community, you know, create a scene on their own because it's so discouraging to have to go to a gallery owner and say, will you please look at, you know, my blood and guts and um, evaluate me and possibly give me a show. And, I mean, sometimes that's worked, but for me that's never worked. Um, And I never really pushed my, I think a couple of times I pushed my art to galleries when I was a lot younger. But I was um, very discouraged and, you know, realizing that people that own galleries are basically people that can afford to pay the rent of the gallery. They're not necessarily experts in art. And um, so it's a, it's a, it can be a really discouraging process for artists, for young artists, like getting in, getting in you know. Mm-hmm. And again, just coming from music and, and stuff, and, you know, FMU is, is really independent, and, and there's a lot of artists on FMU and DJs. It's, it's like you, it's, you get much more done and have much more fun if you do it yourself rather than just sort of like wait to be accepted, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, and it's, it's lovely to see you get recognized. What was the, um, the Whitney Biennial, um, like? The Whitney Biennial was, it was, it happens every two years and they choose about 15 different artists from around the, the country to do, um, you know, show their work, and and in the last few years, it's been more popular to involve interdisciplinary artists or people that do more than just, like, paint or do sculpture. Like, they're more open-minded to a different kind of performance art. That's my performance art is coming from punk and music, and I guess um, the value system, there's not as much of a hierarchy of, of value the last um, 10 years in the museum system. So they were open-minded to let me do my concert there. Um, I did a, an actual Karen Black concert, and then I had a room, an installation room. It took place at the um, Park Avenue Armory, which I suggest anyone to go and visit on 66th Street and Park Avenue. It's an old military drill hall. And they gave me a room to make an installation, and then I was able to do a Karen Black concert in the main drill hall, which was 10,000 square feet. Wow. 
and I was I built a stage and I got to work with all these different people like really amazing lighting designers and technology that I'd never ever been exposed to before and I got to involve 30 girls of Karen Black rather than the eight that I use I usually have about four to eight dancers usually so this time I had 30 mm. and so I I made a book of this Diane it's called Butalism, and it's kind of, I think it's available on Amazon, and you can see it online as well, so, but it was a fantastic experience. My parents came from Los Angeles to, to, to the show, and my, all my friends came, and everyone from the Lower East Side would stop me on the street and say, hey, I saw you're in the Whitney, that's great, you made it, you finally made it, and I just kept thinking, well, I, I felt like I've been making it forever. I don't know <laughs> if I finally made it, but everybody was really impressed by this museum thing, and they were all excited for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then yeah. I did, in my installation room, I did this thing where I, I showed, I exhibited butt prints. I, I got paper and painted my um, tush, tush, the different colors, body of using my body paint, the Karen Black body paint. I I painted my butt and sat on the paper, and I made these butt prints, and that's what I showed. Awesome. And those were really popular, too. So I had the Whitney Biennial. I got to have a big concert, and I got to sit on paper and make butt prints. Nice. It was really funny to me. That would be funny to anybody. It would be That would be fun. And then I saw a movie by Jodorowsky called... Um, I think it was, you know, Jodorowsky made this this movie. What's his famous movie? I can't I can't think of it right at this moment. But there's a whole scene where there a woman does butt printing as well. So it's kind of like not the first time that's been done. That's for sure. So well, it, it, that's that's almost a. I don't know. I've I've always <laughs> felt that that uh, art having to do with the body itself is really almost more natural for us than to to you know to draw or to use an instrument you know yeah yeah true yeah. true well it's it, it's interesting that your friends like the or the the feedback that you got like oh you've made it you know because like you said you've been creating all this time and uh and it's a nice a, a really nice thing the name of the book is butalism yeah yeah i just i did found it yeah it's on uh it is on amazon and mm-hmm. uh, oh goody, yeah yeah um, do you have any words on the, the passing of Karen Black? Hold on. Hold on one sec. Steph, sure. can you hold on? Mm-hmm. Yes. We are WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in Rockland County at 91.9 FM. People are coming to the door because of my loadout change of schedule. Ah. So people are buzzing me and knocking on my door. There's a lot of big changes today because of schedule change with right. the show. So right, because sorry the show. About that. Well, that's okay. Thank you for making the time to uh, to talk to us anyway. But what, were you, what were you just saying, Diane? Um, I wanted to know if you had any words on the passing of Karen Black. Well, I, I got to meet Karen Black, thankfully. Um, she introduced us the first time we went to Los Angeles in 92. <laughs> wow. And that was before this, like, recent sort of acceptance of performance art as, like, everybody knows what it is. You know, Marina Bramowicz, the great lady Eastern European performance artist, has really 
put performance on the map since she did that whole Museum of Modern Art piece, I think, where people sat and regarded her and just, you know, I think that she exposed the whole world to performance in a, in a, in a, in a, in a much broader way. But back then in 92, performance art was still, we were still sort of thought of as like the fools of the rock world or the, <laughs> you know, even it wasn't the kind of performance that even the art world was traditionally really, you know, interested in. It wasn't maybe serious in a certain way. So Karen Black really went out on a limb and she showed up at the concert and introduced us and she hung out with us all night. And she said um, to us at the end of the night, she took my hand and she said, you know, you're an artist. And I was like, oh, really? Thank you for, you know, no one had even really ever said that to me before. Hmm. She just completely got it. And um, I've loved her films forever. Everything she's ever done, anything she's done, anything she's in, she's completely brilliant and um so i'm i'm very sad that she died her husband was is wonderful um steven uh, eckleberry and um he's carrying the torch for her by keeping you know her her uh, her artwork and films out there and I, I i hope that i can help him to do to do whatever i can you know, to help preserve her, her legacy um, just by way of doing benefits to help with anything they might need or just, I don't know, to participate in anything that the, the, their family would need, you know, to, as I said, to preserve Karen Black's work. But she was a wonderful, beautiful woman. We also performed together with Lou Reed at UCLA oh, wow. um, one Halloween, um, and she did The Raven. And um, she was just, it's very sad that she died, but, you know, a, a woman that I know who just died a couple of days ago, Maggie Estep, who was mm. a spoken word poet and writer, and she died at 50 yeah. from a heart attack. And all I can say about Karen Black's passing is I'm glad she got to be so loved and lived to be 70, and um, or 70, well over 70, you know, 73 or something. Yeah, and we do all get to appreciate her. I mean, luckily, she did give the world something so we can, you know, look at her work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's, her films are so wonderful if people, if you don't know about them, if any listeners don't know about Karen Black films, I'd suggest Day of the Locust. I'd suggest Come Back to the Five and Dime Jimmy Dean or Five Easy Pieces, who is, which oh, is yes. by Bob Raffleson, who is the creator of The Monkees. That's a great piece. It's a great film. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. Or I would suggest um, Day of the Locust is really one of my favorites. Um, the Great Gatsby, she's wonderful in, and she's kind of known to be a horror film actress, but she really is is just a great beauty and was was in like so many diverse roles. You know, um, she played a trans transgender person and come back to the five and dime Jimmy Dean and she was kind of ahead of her time in that too you know um playing a trans person you know um she did that in the 70s so I would just spend time looking at everything she had a wonderful voice she wrote the songs that she did or a few of them in the movie Nashville and she sang them as well Hmm. so she was a songwriter too I loved her singing voice and um 
her husband told me that she was really a shy singer, oddly enough. She was a shy rock performer, which mm. is surprising to me. But I just saw him right after she passed away. I went to Los Angeles to visit him, and he was just really reeling from her, her death, and he actually had to move right after she died as well, which was why we wanted to help with the benefit, because he had to downsize his whole life. He'd spent so many years caregiving with her. You know, he, he was having a difficult time keeping mm. things going, um, and her her medical expenses were so so vast. They, you know, she had done like a Kickstarter with her medical expenses at one point. You know, mm. wow. So that was another reason why we wanted to help out the family, yeah. just because he, her husband, had to move very quickly after she passed away. So, mm. and it's great that you were there for him. Pardon you know, me? It's great that you were there for him, that you supported, you know, we're, we're oh, just there. Oh, gosh, to... I didn't do much except just we just had a little snack and stuff. But, no, but I, I want to be more available for them. I We have so such dire conditions of living in New York, and he knows that as well. You know, we're struggling, all of us, to keep our apartments going in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have an ostentatious life at all here. I'm still struggling to, to keep my self-afloat in the Lower East Side. Sometimes all you need to, all that somebody needs sometimes is to know that somebody is there and somebody, you know, gets where you're at and and really appreciates, you know, who you are and what you've done. I hope that he does. I hope that he realizes that all of the Karen Black fans loved her so much, you know. Mm, Yeah. I think he does. He's on Facebook and he's kind of uh, approachable, reachable on Facebook. Oh, wow. If people want to find out about Karen Black or what's going on with with her work and stuff, you could reach out to him on Facebook. Oh, that's cool. Hey, so um, I know that you have a, you've got sort of a tumultuous day going on because you're in the midst of trying to figure out what to do with your show. Do you want to talk about a couple songs that you've chosen and then uh, we can go to your playlist a little bit and give you a breather? Sure, sure. Um, I gave you, Diane, a couple of songs that my, all of the people that I work with in Karen Black have their own music proje- projects that they do. You know, they're, they're Gita is in Judas Priestess, Gita Gash, my bass player. And she was an Angel Rot, her, too, right? Gita, Gita Gash. Mm-hmm. She was an Angel Rot years ago. Yeah, yep. she's, she's a great bass player. And um, I wanted to give you one of her songs, which I did, and that it's called Ghost Boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And that's also a song, I don't know if you were able to pull that one off. Yes. Um, but Ghost Boyfriend, also I sang it at the Whitney Biennial. We oh, performed wow. her song. Oh. Yeah. So that's Ghost Boyfriend. And then Samoa, his solo music is kind of country music-ish. He likes slide guitar and um the song that Samoa songs are quite different um than than what he does with Karen Black you know Samoa is from originally Hiroshima Japan and um loves country music Mm. and um my and so that's a song that I gave you too I think it's someday uh one one more day yeah Mm -hmm. and then one more day and then Michael Wildwood our drummer um is formerly of um Generation, mm-hmm. and he is an incredibly prolific um, musician and songwriter. And I sent you um, a song of Michael's as well. So yes. you, I wanted just everybody to hear what the other Karen Black members were up to. And then I sent you 
a couple of songs that were from, you know, I love um, Harry Nielsen. I love, um, I think I like a lot of music that people might be surprised that I like, you know. I yes. listen to, mm-hmm. like, a lot of Dionne Warwick, a lot of Burt Bacharach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love singing um, Burt Bacharach songs. That's how I do vocal practice. I love Luther Vandross. I love 70s R&B as well as... Um, um, punk music, you know. My mm-hmm. brother Adam Fowler is a drummer of Jawbreaker, and I sent my favorite Jawbreaker song too. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um... that one is "Shield Your Eyes." Yes. So I think I described a lot of the songs. I'm blabbering. Sorry. No, that's quite all right. No, your 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 descriptions are are perfect. So um, okay. my my guest is Kembra Fowler of uh, the Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black. And we're going to go to a few songs that she has chosen. We'll start off with the Gita track, if that's okay with you. Thanks, Diane. Yeah, Gita, this song is Ghost Boyfriend. All righty. Hang on. We are WFMU. Stay tuned.
If I had one more day, one more day with you. I got the wrong music on. Anyway, hey, Kembra, are you there? Hi, Diane. It's Hello. Kembra. Hello again. So hey, my Diane. my guest is Kembra Fowler. And, uh, oh, Diane. Oh, Diane. <laughs> we have a whole song about your name. Oh, <laughs> Diane. Oh, Diane. There's a voluptuous horror in Coocharland. In Coocharland. Awesome. It's from a TV commercial from the 80s. Oh, the, the hair, hair commercial the hair? that we took that from. Oh, how funny. I know that hair commercial because, of Do course, I've, well, I've grown up with my name being Diane. So somebody at some point did say, oh, Diane, to me while that mm-hmm. was running. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> how interesting. <laughs> so um, we just played the uh, He's Large. Yeah, yeah. And what do you want to say about why why you chose that? I like really anti-natural phrasing and delivery. Um, I love, like, exaggerated, sort of, like, not really perfect phrasing. Shelley Duvall is great for that. Um, You know, like the way Christopher Walken sort Mm. of speaks so exaggeratedly, and he has his own kind of meter and timing. Yes. Um, I'm drawn to that more so... um, than like you know ro- robotic sketch robotic sounds or something mm. um super high techy sounds i like a strange imperfection and an exaggeration like my favorite singer was darla hood when i was growing up from the little rascals oh yes little darla um, and, and um and um alfalfa mm-hmm. 
So Shelley Duvall sang the Harry Nielsen song from the movie Popeye, and um, I loved all. I love Harry Nielsen too. So that's a, so that's that's one of that's like a one-two punch kind of song for your taste then. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It has it has a lot draws me to it. The way she her phrasing and um, the simplicity of it and the sweetness of it and it's it's comedic without being like really directly so mm-hmm. I don't like really um, I don't like comedy that much but I like playing things very serious like um, The Exorcist was always so funny to me <laughs> and that wasn't supposed to be <laughs> I was going to say how, how so how is it funny to you The Exorcist um, just like how ridiculously outrageous the visuals are, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, the subject matter and um, just the over-the-top visuals, the bed jumping everywhere, going backwards downstairs with a spider and stuff. Oh, and, yes. You know, it's supposed to be scary, but the, the, the sheer audacity of what they did was just very funny to me. Mm. You know, I actually, I, I saw that movie again when they released it, the 25th anniversary in the movie theater. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember the audience, <clears throat> the audience response was very different because I saw it in the theaters when it came out. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, you could hear a pin drop the right. entire time because mm-hmm. it was a freakishly scary movie. And there was a lot of laughter in the beginning, especially because, you know, she... Hold, hold on one sec, Diane. Hold okay. on one sec. Can All you right. just... Hold on one sec. Of course I can. I'm sorry. There's some sort of urgent thing coming on. I'm going to put Stephanie on for one second, Diane, and she's my um, best friend and helper, and she's going to speak to you one moment with a perspective about what you feel, Stephanie, about the movie The Exorcist. How old are you? 23? Okay, so I do. So this is Diane (laughs) from FMU, and this is Stephanie. She's in the band, and she's going to talk to you about The Exorcist for one minute. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, Diane. I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for having Kembra's back on. Yes. You know, we had this interview scheduled, and then Mother Nature comes in and is and is sort of definitely screwing with the day and, and creating oh, yeah. creating a time uh, conundrum for Kembra. Oh, so, yeah. so thank yeah, you for being it's, there. It's, uh... Snow day. <laughs> it is a snow day. We used to, as as children, we used to like snow days. As, yeah. as adults, sometimes snow days don't always work out best yeah. for us. But yeah. um, and uh, so, what about Exorcist? Well, you know, we were just talking about. Um, Kimber was talking about how she saw The Exorcist as, as funny. Um, oh, and, right. And uh, and I was actually mentioning that. Um, when the Exorcist, when they released, I think it was like an, they added the full eight minutes that had been cut from the movie um, for its 25th anniversary. I saw it in the theater and the audience really laughed about it a lot. Like it wasn't it wasn't as frightening to begin with. I think that that there's a whole lot of things in society that changed over the time um, in the original movie. She, mm-hmm. you know, Linda Blair was taken to the doctor because she was having these outbursts of cursing and she was saying, right. you know, mother effer and those kind of things. And, and, Correct. and at, you know, seeing that at age, whatever I was like 12 or 14, I actually asked my mother to take me, which I did then promptly get grounded afterwards. I didn't think that they would show those things in the movie. Um, but, right. um, 
you know, now it's not a big deal. Like, like those introductory scenes where she was cursing and, you know, they took her to the doctor. All Everybody was just laughing because every kid says stuff like that. Like a, a child cursing is no longer like a huge problem to take your kid to the doctor about. You right. Know, and some of it so it didn't really translate. And then and it did get, you know, during the, the real for me, the frightening parts of the movie are like when the room is really cold and, you know, she kind of cracks her head around like, you know, and that kind of thing. And that was there was some definitely some quiet points in the movie theater. But I didn't think that it really translated in the same frightening way 25 years later. Right. And so you're, um, Kimber said that you're 23? I'm 22. Oh, 22. So um, did you, have I'm you seen the, the movie? Have you seen the movie? <laughs> I've only seen the movie when they did the, they, they had an anniversary mm-hmm. special showing at AMC. And mm-hmm. I got to see it in theaters. And it was pretty amazing. And they, they actually kept in the one part where she walks down the stairs. Yes. I think it was an uncut. You're on live, Stephanie, so don't cuss, okay? You're on live, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. She's very. I rough. promise. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I saw the uncut version at AMC, and it was pretty amazing. And it, I thought it was funny. And my family members, they told me that it, it scarred them for life. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty campy at times, especially the vomiting scene. As you know. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think that's true, and, and that's um, that's what I saw seeing it probably around the same time, that it just didn't translate as frightening. And, the, and right. that audiences have seen so much horror and so much splatter now right. that it just it's, – it's not all about the imagination and, and, ooh, this could really happen, and, ooh, could I become possessed? Like, there just – there was no – it, it – there wasn't that, like, this could happen to you if, if you're a bad girl. You know, thing going on. It was like, what are they doing? Like enough pea soup to, you know, to drown a small town. Right, but, right. Yeah. That's just hilarious. Mm-hmm. By the way, um, I am in the band. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to tell you what I do. Oh, please um, do. Before I hand you over to Kembra Cam- again. Okay. Um, so I'm, I perform in the band. I'm one of the girls of Karen Black. Mm-hmm. And I am also the production manager. Oh, wow. And I handle social networking, and I actually run the Etsy store. Oh, wow. We, where, where we sell posters. Oh, no The kidding. band posters. I have organized. If you go to Etsy.com, and if you look for shops, TVHKB, mm-hmm. you would find it. And um, I, it has been pretty successful so far, considering... You know, we're very independent, and we're very proud of our accomplishments so far. But we've only started, and, you know, there's just so much more we're going to do. Hmm. Oh, yeah, here we go. The Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black store at yep. Etsy. Very nice. Yep. Oh, and there's a ton of stuff. Yeah. You're you're looking at it right I now? am looking at it right now. Oh, great. Yes. I'm so happy. Yeah, you I, get the posters. I sort of designed it. Oh, good. <laughs> sort of. Oh, I think that I think I found some of the butt prints that that Kimber and I were talking about from brutalism. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's cute, there. cute. Okay, now I'll hand you over to Kimber. All right. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Of course. Thank okay. you for joining us. He's been great. I, I've never really had help before. Mm. I've never had a manager. I've never had any money from a record company. I've never had. 
a, a boyfriend or girlfriend who was my art slave. So Stephanie is my helper, and it's so, I don't even, she's so helpful, I don't even know what to ask for. She's so helpful. I'm just not used to it, this kind of support. So she built the store, and um, I put her in the band because I, I, didn't, I wanted her to have some fun as well, besides being so administrative, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she's not like um, a traditional performer or anything, but she does very well in Karen Black because she takes it very seriously, and she's able to, you know, um, do backup vocals and stuff too now. So usually the, the roles in the band are really mutable, you know? There's not like one thing. If you're, if you're around us, you usually end up getting in the band, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's great, though, that she really helps you out. And the uh, the Etsy store looks awesome. Oh, and, isn't it great? Yes. I love it, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at I mean, the, the poster for the Butalism, and mm-hmm. I believe I'm looking at one of your book prints standing there. Oh, cool. Yes. I'm going to send you some stuff for the radio station or for your art collection if you, you'll give me your address and stuff. Because sure. The posters, I don't have any T-shirts right now, mm-hmm. so the things that everyone's getting are the posters. So, yeah. Cool. Very good. Yeah, and they're pretty affordable to to have, you know. Mm-hmm. Just as far as like getting a, a an art art thing, an art piece. Right. I I, I love um, like seventies posters and stuff, mm. rock posters, mm-hmm. and I wish people made more of them. Yeah. But prints. Print stuff's kind of rare now. I guess technology, in a way. Yeah, I know. People just say, "Well, I, you know, I sent you, I sent you an email about it, or I tweeted exactly. about it." You know. Do and you it, have a big like vinyl collection, Diane? I do. Yeah. Oh, personally. What are your top three records, Diane? Oh, wow. The Ferris. The interview switches gears. Yes. Um. I would have to Or what do you say, listen to every day? Do you have like a morale-boosting um, playlist? I do, actually. Devo, Thin Lizzy, and The Stranglers. Oh, great. Those would be, those would be my, my bands. I don't know about songs. Probably I've got a couple. Stranglers fa- are fab, especially oh, yeah. in the winter. Stranglers mm. are really morale-boosting in the winter. Music basically changes everything. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, it's like religion pretty much yeah well and you can really choose your music especially if you're in a mood that you don't want to be in you can really just be like i need to really need to shift something here and look at and go oh if i put that album on i know i'll be bouncing around or you know it is, if you a wanna... drug. It is yeah. the best drug yeah. music is a... and so is art too you know mm-hmm. i mean in the broader sense all art is 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 um is it heals art heals mm-hmm. art and music heals well especially when you're the one who's creating it because it's a form of expression that you that you know i mean i don't know i i know because of what you do that you're really creating on a number of levels at the same time but especially you know your typical i hate to say typical but an artist a visual artist like mm-hmm. they're they're bringing something out of them that they may not be able to put into words you know, right. And even just, you know, yeah. people, people that actually don't write music, listen to music and sing along loudly because the music speaks mm-hmm. to them, you know, so yeah, without. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a very good singer and I and I sing all the time, you know, and I never <laughs> look I had I'm not one of those people that looks themselves up too often. 
but I, I looked myself up a few months ago, um, and there were, I had never read any reviews about Karen Black mm. or my, my records or my singing, and apparently I'm a really bad singer, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> as long as After you're having a good time. Years, and, and everything is relative, you know, and you bring a lot of fun to people. You bring a lot of joy, and uh, you're entertaining, and... You know, what I love about you and, I mean, your output is just, it's completely, like, relentless. And and, and there's also, and there's no, you don't really care what people think. It's just, it's what you have going on, and it's just coming out. That's it, you know. I do, I do, um, I am not immune to mean-spirited criticism. You know, it would make me really sad if everyone hated my guts. And mm. there was years when we were doing performance, when it was not popular, and I remember the first spin um, article that came out about me, it was in 91, and it was called Arty Farty, or mm. something like that, and they were really very derisive about the fact that I was doing performance and music, and it was right before, like, Marilyn Manson blew up, and it was before bands like Fisher Spooner had come out, where they were kind of like, Really, it was unpopular at the time to do my kind of performance in um, with music, you know? Mm. It was just not too... It wasn't cool yet. And I don't know how cool it is now, but it was really uncool at the moment. They hated it. So, they hated it. Well, very that's very small-minded at the time. Well, I think, so. yeah, and hating something and, you know... Is really just a is an excuse to not explore something that you may not understand, right? You know, so so good for the haters, and that's and that yeah. sort of shows who you are, and you've kept on going in your own direction, and and yeah, you've had we've so been many... able to continue for a long time. We started in basically with Karen Black. We started around what like eighty nine or something mm-hmm. with the music with the band stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been a couple of Sundays. That is a long, a, a wonderfully long time. I know it is. I just don't feel fifty-two. I, you know, I, I'm, I feel like almost. I remember being apologetic when I was young, like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I kind of don't know what I'm doing. I'm only eighteen years old, and now I'm, I feel like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm still doing this, and I'm fifty-two, and I'm not ever stopping. <laughs> <laughs> no apologies needed. Flown by. It's flown by. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I had to go through the 80s with, with AIDS in the Lower East Side, so I lost all my friends. With, during that, it was like being in a Holocaust, you know? Mm, wow. Yeah. Very... There was a lot of drug problems in the Lower East Side, and it's changed now. The landscape's changed. I think it's not as cool to be, like, a destructive artist anymore. I think that might be a little different. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if that's cool anymore. Well, and that certainly doesn't change who you are or diminish your talent at all, you know. So that's – I I get that you're just going to do what you're going to do. And I think um, that that's the way it should be. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we're lucky. You know, we're lucky to still be here, to be able to, to still be doing stuff in the Lower East Side. As far as putting out records and stuff, like the music business has changed, obviously – People don't put up records like they used to, so it's a bit wild and woolly now, I think, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, there is there is that fine, that the whole bit about 
digital where people can put right. out music fairly easily because they can maybe record at home and <clears throat> they don't need to have a, as much dedication as you may have needed in the past. You know, like, True, oh, we're yeah. going to go in the studio, we're going to put out a record. If we don't have a label, we're going to put the money together and put it out ourselves. Right. And you can, but, and, but if you do and get things out there, I think you can get it, uh, your material out there better. You know, it's it's easier to, to get more attention. Like, you've got an Etsy store for your posters. You can get, you know, there's mm-hmm. SoundCloud and, and mm-hmm. all the different band space kind of uh, things. You know, if you really work that angle. So it's it's easier to find music. I think it's easier to make music. But, but I think it's harder as just a lay person because you get mm-hmm. tons of music thrown at you all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So to really be discerning and to, to you know... And yeah, the expediency that people do produce now can kind of affect the quality of the music, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And the overall output is monstrous. Right. There is so much. A lot to, a lot to filter through. Yeah. So um, I've got the, the list of other songs that you told me that you love. Um, okay. And if you wanted to maybe choose um, a couple of those, we could maybe go out with that. I know. Um, sure. I guess. Yeah, I got to get back to. There's a few emergencies. I want to be able to tell you when our show is rescheduled for, and I'm just about getting to that. I'll have to. I'd have to get off the phone for a minute to figure out what we're going to do. I might not be able to tell you that today, but. Right. Yeah, and we'll definitely follow up with you about that. And okay. so far, there's nothing on the Bowery Electric website about that. Um, okay. But um, you had said that um, that you've. I, Kimber had forwarded me a list of music. So if you want to choose, maybe a uh, Anthony and the Johnsons, a Kiss My Name, or a Coco Rosie. I've got. Yeah, I, I'm doing a show with Anthony and Coco Rosie and Johanna Constantine this spring at a gallery called The Hole. Mm. It's a show that's based on text that we wrote around this idea of future feminism, which is feminism as we as we're interpreting it in the year 2014. So we wrote 13 tenets together, um, kind of like 13 different ideas that we're presenting to the world, and we're having an art show around it. And Anthony, I've been on tour with and have made films with, and is someone that has been a, a friend forever, and I love all of Anthony's songs, so um, especially Kiss My Name. Um, I Am a Bird Girl is great. Anything by Anthony I love. Mm-hmm. And I love Coco Rosie's most recent album, too. And um, So whatever people want to listen to of Coco Rosie or Anthony would be wonderful today. Okay, um, I'm going to queue up here. I've got Kiss My Name and then Terrible Angels. That would be great. <clears throat> And uh, is there anything else that you want the listeners to know? Um, and and so the show, it looks as if the show tonight is going to be postponed and there yeah. just isn't a definite date yet. Um, um, I want the listeners to know that we love the listeners. We love you from the voluptuous horror of Karen Black and to keep your spirits up during these difficult times and we hope to see everyone soon and we're reachable on Facebook and on Instagram if you want to say hello. Oh, on Instagram too. Very good. Yeah. I'll find your, uh, let's see. Let me just see if I can get the black. 
I'm looking at the Facebook thing here. There we go. Is that? Oh, nope, that's not it. That's actually her. There we go. Okay. I am going to put this link up um, on the playlist. And, okay, great. Um, good. And, Kimber, thank you so much for making the time, especially in sure. light of how things have gone today. Oh, it's, it's a uh, great day. It's just weather. There's <laughs> no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothes. <laughs> Unfortunately, we lost our vehicles today, so it's safer for everyone to not come out tonight to see us. So we'll, we'll repost okay. today, okay? Well, very good. And, uh, and we will get that word from Kimbra as soon as it happens, and uh, we'll be able yeah. to, to, to... And send okay. me your address. I can send you posters, Diane. I will do that. I will do that. So, Kimbra, thank you so much. And, and I just love that Karen Black told you that you are a true artist because you certainly Aww. are. And, uh, and she really was, was, was clued in, and it's, and it's awesome that you, you know, that you chose to represent her in the name of, of your... Aww production you know your yeah, band it's a strange poetry accident how we named the band just like why don't we name it karen black okay that sounds good strange <laughs> little poetry but thank you for your enthusiasm about our project and your support there's not that many people that really um support us so thank you fmu for letting us be on on your station and thank you so much for for getting at us and we're here for you anytime you want to call okay there we go Okay, so we will catch up with Kimbra, and you know, when the smoke clears and the snow melts, we'll have you in the studio. You know, yeah, we'll a little come bit. over and do live. Yeah, that would be great. So we're going to go out with a "Kiss My Name" from Anthony and the Johnsons, and "Terrible Angels" from Coco Rosie. My guest, Kimbra Fowler. Thank you so much, Kimbra, and Thanks, uh, enjoy the rest Love of your you. day. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Take care. it up for today's podcast thank you to gene green for editing the podcast and to liz berg for all the background and upload work for wfmu i am diane kamikaze signing off until next time